The 1950s, poodle skirts, drive-ins, little housing cost, an almost idyllic time if you ignore that whole pesky racism thing. All in all, things were peaceful until a mysterious disease would cause women in a small town to go mad and kill all of the men. Welcome back to a new episode of Not Another Horror Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, I'm your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained, Anthony Rossetti. I hope you all have had or are still having a good holiday season. Tonight, we are on episode three, season one. We have a bit of a mixed bag for you tonight. To start off, we will be going to Mississippi again to explore an outbreak that supposedly devastated a small town. And then, for the first time ever, we have two listener submissions. Stay tuned. Hey there. It's your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained, Anthony Rossetti, and I just want to have a quick heart-to-heart with you now. You've probably been wanting to start your own podcast, but can't seem to get the ball rolling or you just don't know where to start. And trust me, I get it. There are a lot of options out there. It's almost overload. But today I'm going to tell you about the easiest way, and that is to download the Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to start your own podcast stress-free. No complicated software or membership fees. It's all free. And they'll even distribute it for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start earning money right now with no minimum listenership. Download the Anchor app to get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. Now that I have your attention, you're probably wondering what exactly is Mercuritis and why you've never heard of it. But if you live in the South, I mean, chances are you've come across this urban legend. Everyone knows someone that knows someone that knows another person who either claimed to have been aware of this disease or had a friend or a relative that experienced it. Mercuritis at its core is widely believed to be caused when a man ingests large amounts of lead, which is deadly, from paint or some other source. Now, if the man does not die, then he supposedly develops what is known as mercuritis, which then causes him to secrete a type of bile that, when released through the skin, acts as a pheromone, making women around him completely hormonal and unreasonable. Like any good urban legend, this one, of course, has an origin story. 
But before we visit Mississippi, let's first take a trip back to Europe in the 1930s, where according to legend, the first Mercatus case took place. In an unnamed seaside village in Europe, the first case would emerge in the 1930s. An unnamed man was chased by a mob of women. They tore through this town and chased him to the docks. In a desperate attempt to evade them, he jumped into water with temperatures well below freezing. Without hesitation or regard for their own safety, the women soon followed. It is said that he and all of the female attackers drowned in those icy waters. But now let's fast forward to 1957, where an outbreak allegedly hit a small town in Mississippi, the name of which was promptly covered up. In this town, several men contracted the illness through the ingestion of near-lethal doses of lead. And shortly after, a large number of women from the town descended into a homicidal rage. They swept through the streets, destroying property, all in a quest to chase down and murder every man they could find. In the wake of this outbreak, the small Mississippi town was almost devastated. No one would ever know for sure the extent of the property damage or how many people died as a result of the riots because, according to rumors, the federal government rushed in soon afterwards, as they always do, in order to hide the evidence. Unable to find a cure or full explanation, the medical community was also quick to cover up any trace of the outbreak. Now that I've given you the story, let's get down to the facts and determine if this is a government cover-up or a mere urban legend. For the first time on this show, and yes, I know it's only episode three, but I've always wanted to say that, I reached out to a medical historian, yes, it's a real thing, named Jackie, who works at AAHM and is familiar with this legend. She replied to my email and had this to say. Hopefully, this will help clarify where truth ends and legends begin. Jackie writes, Firstly, we must separate fiction from fact. There is no medical condition called mercuritis, and there never has been, nor was there any widespread writing across the southern states in 1956, 1957, or any of the other 50s about this mythical condition or any other sickness for that matter that authorities have covered up. I don't know how that would even be possible. This is all fiction. The impact of extended lead poisoning on the mind is a different matter, while an odor from a male turning females to homicidal tendencies is also fiction 
there is no such substance that induces compulsion for specific acts, a violent or otherwise. Only certain classes of parasite and those do so to other animals as part of an organism's life cycle. There are some elements of facts, however. Extended consumption and our exposure to certain minerals can cause behavioral change, most notably lead and mercury. Those affected are not women specifically, but young children. The poisoning can lead to learning difficulties and developing antisocial behavior. There are cases where the behavior turns extremely violent. These are among the reasons why health authorities become alarmed when products like baby food and toys have notable concentrations of lead. These points might be the origin of the legend and they do agree on the morale of the seriousness of contamination by natural or manufactured elements, chemicals not meant for human consumption. And it is one that people should take seriously. Worry less about urban legends and worry about COVID instead. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Now, as for my own research into the subject, it did not turn too many results up. But I did find that there was one book written in Japanese about the subject. Now, I don't speak Japanese, but... Thankfully, we have Google Translate to help us out these days. The title roughly translates to Mercritus Run. I'm going to read you a small passage from the book, and it is a tad dramatic. Mercritus' condition MC typically leads his victims down a road of trouble into a life of alienation. Interspersed with moments of great violence, Mercritus affects less than 1 in 10 million of the general population. It strikes males of any age and is only contracted, as far as we know, from the oral consumption of mass amounts of certain types of paint. One of the reasons Mercritus is rare is that Paint consumption leads to massive organ failure, and many who may have a grim chance of developing this rare disease die before MC manifests. The prevailing theory holds that the victim's skin, fed by secretions resident in the liver and kidneys, releases a mild odor that has an effect on women. The scent seems to affect all women on a hormonal level that appears to alter them emotionally, making them irrational and hostile. Pretty women are so hyperactivated by victims of MC has brought us to speculate that on a possible relationship between hormonal activity and beauty. Hyperactivated reactions are called MAR, Mercuritis Activated Rage Episodes, White women with no history or a pattern of violence would react so strongly to a man with MC has not been studied. In a way, we're all guessing, but in defense of my book, I operate from an educated guess. Now, urban legends aside, 
lead poisoning is a very real occurrence. And did you know that a study in Cincinnati finds that young people prosecuted for delinquency are four times more likely than the general population to have high levels of lead in their bones? Or that a study of studies of 19 papers found no evidence that other factors could explain the correlation between exposure to lead and conduct problems in young people. Lead poisoning in infancy, even at very low levels, impairs the development of those parts of the brain, most notably the prefrontal cortex that regulates behavior and mood. The effect is stronger in boys than in girls. Lead poisoning is associated with attention deficit disorder, impulsiveness, aggression, and according to one paper, psychopathy. Lead is so toxic that it is unsafe at any level. So it seems as urban legend does have a sprinkle of facts on it. Now, I also want to note that when this podcast was in the infancy stages of my brain, I researched mercuritis and there was a lot more information on the subject available online. Now it appears to have all been wiped away. I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but... What if? Now, I told you guys we'd be getting to some listener submissions this episode, and first up, we have one from Tennessee, from James, simply titled, Skinned Tom. Where I live, While in Tennessee, we have our very own version of Freddy Krueger. He's known as Skinned Tom. In life, Tom was a good-looking guy who liked the ladies. Once he dated all the available girls in the area, he started seeing a girl in the next town, not knowing she was married. Eventually, her husband got wind of what was going on and vowed revenge on the two of them. He told his wife he was going out of town for the weekend and hid in the woods behind their house. As he'd guessed, that evening, Tom showed up to take the lady out. The husband followed them to the nearby lover's lane. Things were getting pretty hot and heavy, if you know what I mean. When all of a sudden the car door was jerked open and Tom came face to face with one very huge, very angry looking dude wielding a hunting knife. Oh no, screamed the girl. It's my husband. That's right, you cheating bitch, yelled her husband. And I'm about to teach you a lesson you'll never forget. He pulled her off of Tom ran the knife into her stomach once and tossed her aside. Then he turned back to Tom, grinning manically. Don't hurt me, Tom begged. I swear to God I didn't know she was married. But the wronged husband did not listen. He dragged Tom out of that car and skinned him alive with a hunting knife. Then he went to town and turned himself into the police. When the police arrived at the crime scene, they found the woman, who was miraculously still alive. But Tom was nowhere to be found. They say he's still hanging around Lover's Lane, 
waiting to catch a couple and teach them the same lesson his girlfriend's husband taught him. He's described as a bloody skeleton in 20s clothes, carrying the knife he himself was skinned with. All the teenagers around here grow up hearing, don't go to Lover's Lane if you don't want to be Skin Tom's next victim. To me, it sounds like a crock. Like something parents and cops made up to keep their kids from going parking. But still, you won't catch me around there. Next, we have a listener who wishes to remain anonymous from Mobile, Alabama. She wonders if Voodoo killed her husband. Hello. I'm trying to find out what kind of crap was casted on my husband and I. He passed away October 8th, 2020. I discovered this before he passed, so long story short, here's the timeline. I go outside on our porch and find a huge stick, equivalent to a walking stick, behind our green chair. I approach it, and I take a look. I find that about 50 or so strands of my hair are wrapped around the tip of the stick. I blitz the stick only to feel the top of the stick feels electrically charged. My husband who hates this type of stuff and has never felt this in his life, he feels it too. I soak the stick in holy water for 24 hours. I checked it periodically only to feel that the electrical charge at the end of it where my hair is was still there. In the meantime, I develop a pool of blood around my big toe and pointer toe. There is no cut as I inspect. Shortly after, my husband has developed a pool of blood between the same toes. Only his has a slight cut. The cut is equivalent to a slight paper cut, but doesn't warrant the amount of blood seen in between his toes. My husband sees a ball of my dogs moving from across the room against the floor. I think nothing of it until I see the same thing with a different ball. Anyways, there's more, but here's the gist. Maybe one of your listeners will know what spell was cast on my husband. He ended up dying three months later after the spell incident in a freak medical sort of way. All his organs shut down, even his lungs, and he was a non-smoker. In the end, it required him to have four transplants, which we couldn't stop the blood clotting of his stomach to allow for that. I watched my husband die in my arms as I held him from falling, and in the meantime, he was vomiting blood profusely. It just seems like such an extreme and horrible way to die. Later on, I found a voodoo doll for him in which pay cut was punctured in a bold, alive rat carcass in our closet from his ex-wife. I have since blessed and discarded those items but still wonder about what was placed on him from the beginning. If you have any answers, shoot us an email at notanotherhorrorpodcast at yahoo.com.
So that wraps up our show for this week and our last official episode of 2020. But don't worry, we will be back next week. Well, next year. Lame joke. (laughs) Um, So I really like doing the listener submissions. So if you have any stories, you can always submit them to the Facebook group or just shoot me an email at notanotherhorrorpodcast at yahoo.com and I will include it in an upcoming episode. And remember, you can always follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all the other socials. And for those of you that love to rate podcasts, just give us a rating. It really helps the show. I will see all of you guys next year. Stay safe. Stay sane. And for the love of God, please don't ingest any paint. <laughs>